bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Mike Pence, the former vice president turned presidential hopeful. I know the administration is boasting about inflation being down, but it's still twice what the target of the Fed is. Inflation, the Trump indictment, and the former Veep's new platform as he sets his sights on the White House. In our time, if we would summon the will of the American people, we can change the fiscal trajectory of this country. That interview plus Bud Light eclipsed by Modelo, regulators making moves on Microsoft and AI. And speaking of AI, the Fab Four come together again, sort of. I'm interested in, I would love a new Beatles song to come out. It's Wednesday, the 14th of June. The birds are so loud, it's a great thing. I love birds. Andrew, have you seen a bird? There's some really friendly rats in the in the subway system. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky, let's talk about uh, this Microsoft Activision deal, because a U.S. federal judge now putting a temporary hold on that transaction, uh, Microsoft to buy Activision Blizzard, giving the FTC more time to make its case as it seeks to block the transaction. Without an injunction, Microsoft could have closed on the deal as early as Friday. Now, Microsoft now has until Friday to argue against the temporary hold, and the FTC would have to respond by Tuesday. The judge in the U.S. District of California has set an evidentiary hearing for the end of next week. You're looking at Microsoft stock continuing to go up. Uh, Activision is basically marginally down on on, on this piece of news. But as we said yesterday, uh, there's some folks who seem to think this is all good news and uh, others... Uh, who seem to think, as I do, this doesn't seem to bode well. But what do I know, Joe? That's that's a good point. Uh, is there something to be said for trying to do it when you really there's a huge regulatory overhang? We've seen it before. I don't I don't know. Uh, what they, then? You got to unwind everything. Does just a, it's a mess. Yeah. The weird thing, Andrew, was that date they threw out. That I guess that was circulating the June 15th. That if it wasn't done by then, they might go ahead with it. Um, you know, maybe pulling the regulator into doing this the sooner. Again, they've got that July 18th deadline uh, before they're going to have to decide whether to extend the deal and how. Um, and that could be a little complicated, too. I just I don't see how this I don't I don't see how any of this is good news. I mean, I yeah. know there was we had an analyst on who seemed to think that there's there's and, and obviously Microsoft I've, seemed to act yeah, as if I, this was good news. There's, there's I nothing good about this. Either. Yeah, I, it's like, OK, we tempted them into doing what they were threatening to do to begin with. Um, yeah, now it plays out. By the way, they the may ultimately Microsoft may ultimately have a great case here. They they yeah. could win this case if they play if they really truly Agreed. want to play it out. This is in the U.S. That is, uh, and and who knows what happens in the U.K. But it's probably going to cost you, them some money and to some, play uh, and out a the case unto itself. Right. This reminds me of AT and T when yeah. it had to deal with Time Warner. They right. eventually prevailed. Right. They, you may win, but when you're fighting regulators the whole long. way through. <clears throat> It really slows you down. It takes up a lot of time and energy from your top managers to deal with something like this. That's why there's a company called Warner Brothers Discovery now. Right. And I would say it's, it's, look, thinking that this is not good news for this doesn't mean I agree with the regulators. It just, you know. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how how Bobby Kotick got that company to 70 billion, whatever the hell hell it is. I I, I remember it. It was like a game 
Yeah, he put in. Unbelievable. He, remember when he I, made I that, that what acquisition? He grew it from. Yeah. yeah, I remember when he made the first but big. It, but even from where he started it, he started it with very little money, very little seed money that he put into it too. Yeah. And it, yeah. Well, it, it, along similar lines, I, I guess Microsoft gaming—it's all based on, you know, AI is a huge part. In, in an integral part of what gaming and, and uh, goggles and everything looks like. It's all sort of tied together, and AMD is announcing a new chip for artificial intelligence, representing the strongest challenge yet to NVIDIA, uh, which dominates the AI market with 80% market share and became a trillion-dollar company as we watched it. And you know what that does to a stock price? If it's a $100 billion company and you have a stock, and it goes to a trillion, the stock prices, it's been something to behold for the past five years. AMD, best known for its uh, traditional computer processors, uh, but its new chips, which uh, it calls accelerators, could be used as substitutes for NVIDIA's AI chips. Here's CEO Lisa Su on Closing Bell Overtime. We've been working on um, this roadmap for many, many years. You know, MI300 is our newest generation chip. And, um, you know, frankly, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of technology we have on this, 153 billion transistors, um, it's really designed, you know, everybody's talking about chat GPT and large language models. MI300 is actually designed exactly for this use case. And so we're really, really excited about it. Uh, we've been uh, really, you know, customers are super excited about it. And, you know, we're working closely with them. Uh, we will sample um, in the third quarter and we'll be in production by the end of the year. Sue said she expects a chip to start shipping uh, to some customers later this year. Reuters reports says Amazon uh, Web Services is considering using those new AMD chips, though no uh, final decision has been made. And we mentioned NVIDIA, that stock, uh, as we mentioned, closed with a $1 trillion valuation uh, the company did for the first time after uh, first trading above that level back on uh, May 30th. May 30th, it's June 14th today. <laughs> yes. Just so you know, just so you know, uh, in a week, the days start getting shorter again. I, I know. I've been thinking about that for a month. Because really? it's Did so you see lovely today? to hear the birds. and walking around this morning. As you're coming in. I know. And it is a thing of beauty. And it's a thing of sadness to realize that it's fleeting. And look, the only good news is it's going to be warm for quite a while still. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, yeah. When I, taking the dogs out, I usually use my flashlight just to see that, for a lot of reasons, but I don't want to step in Watch anything. Watch where you're stepping. I don't want to step in anything, but, you know, <laughs> with, four do- with four dogs, two German Shepherds are like, you know, horses. Elephants. My friend Flicka. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> with the lights, I didn't even need the, this morning, it was, it was yeah. like a light. No, it, and, and, and the birds. Not for long. Like, the birds are so loud. It's a great thing. I love it birds. makes me feel like you're waking up in the land. Remember when the birds are going crazy? You ever look at what's really happening when the birds are going crazy? Yeah, there's usually a cat or something or that's hawk. running around. Yeah, or, or oh, a yeah, hawk. hawk trying to get in. It's, steal it's the like, oh, they're so cute. They're making all that noise. And then I'm like, oh my God, there's a complete <laughs> war going on yes. where there's like t- the 10 or 12 little word, birds trying to, to chase it off yeah. and the jays are getting involved. Fascinating. Right, Andrew, and- you don't, you know, have you seen a bird in like the last six months anywhere in, in this? You know what birds you see? You see pigeons right before you get one in the eye, right? Uh, no, love a pigeon. Love a great pigeon. Flying rats. They're red-tailed oh, yeah. hawks that, that hang out here and peregrine falcons. No, yeah. peregrine falcons that actually stay here. There's some the really cars. friendly rats in the, in the subway <laughs> system. Yeah. <laughs> Wildlife of all types, right? You should see the roaches that were here yesterday, yeah. Andrew. You missed and I got, oh, you missed it, Andrew. Because I, I, I had to take care of the roaches for the people in makeup, the roach. It's about that big. It was half mouse, half roach. I think it was some kind of, it came out of the, to the subway. Uh, and then I realized, why did I flush that down the toilet without 
throwing terrorizing it. the rest of us. Right. Which he so I found a little piece of brown cardboard and came out. Okay, but we digress. Bud Light, no longer the top-selling beer brand in the United States. That's according to analysis by consulting firm Bump Williams, which said that Modelo Especial took the top spot in May following a boycott of Bud Light by some of its former customers. That backlash started when transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney posted an image on Instagram of a personalized Bud Light can that the brand had sent her as a gift. Bud Light sales were down about 24% in the week that ended June 3rd versus the same week last year. Modelo, which is sold by Constellation Brands in the United States, represented 8.4% of U.S. retail store beer sales in May compared with 7.3% for Bud Light. By the way, Anheuser-Busch InBev actually owns Modelo and is the distributor everywhere outside the United States. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a Modelo. Really? No, I have. Have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see there. There's some great ads. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't drink beer very often, but I have had it. I don't drink it at all uh, it's like, it's anymore. Like when you're doing enough problems, um, I'm sure that more for like two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that was the last roach. I think I got the the final. Don't you think I got the final? I do. I got the final one, Andrew. So you can just rest assured they're all gone. Up next, former vice president and now presidential hopeful Mike Pence. Inflation, the Fed and former President Donald Trump's indictment. It jeopardizes our national security. It puts at risk the men and women of our armed forces. I, I can't defend what is alleged, but uh, the former president has a right uh, to his day in court. Squawk Pod will be right back. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Stand by Joe in three, two, one, his mic, Q. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Yesterday's fresh read on consumer prices indicating that inflation is uh, moderating, but the high cost of necessities like food and shelter continue to weigh on the American people's bottom uh, line. Join us now to talk about uh, that in the 2024 race, the state of the economy, and more. Former Vice President Mike Pence, thanks for joining us, uh, Mr. V. You bet, Joe. Good to see you all. Good to see you. You could have told us last time, but you didn't, and then you told somebody else, but now we know. So, so you're in the race. We are. We are. A, a unprecedented, uh, kind of surreal situation that all of the candidates, well, on both sides, find themselves in, but the developments of this week uh, make it a fine line that many of the GOP uh, candidates are walking in, in how to characterize the developments of this week. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, what happened with the former President Trump. Well, first, let me say, it's great to be back on Squawk Box. Good to have you, sir. With all three of you. And I, look, I, I went to Iowa last week and said that after a lot of prayer and deliberation, my wife and I made the decision to step into the race. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I mean, uh, I think the Biden administration has weakened America at home and abroad. We have war raging in Eastern Europe, provocations in the Asia Pacific. And I hardly need to tell people on Squawk Box about the challenges in this economy. I know that the administration is boasting about inflation being down, but it's, uh, it's still twice what the target of the Fed is. We're all anxiously awaiting what the Fed will decide today. And the truth is that we need new leadership. I believe in the Republican Party. We need new leadership in the United States to get us back to the policies that had this country growing, had this country secure, had the world more peaceful. But it is a... It's a very challenging time in the life of the nation. I think yesterday was a very sad day for America. I mean, to see a former 
president of the United States, uh, brought into court uh, and, uh, and, and subject to charges, I think, uh, was dispiriting. Uh, to but you're on record saying America. they're serious charges and, and, the, and, they're, very, and they're concerning. Well, the, look, they, look, no one's above the law, and we're all entitled to the presumption of That's the problem, though, this of innocence. That, that's but, the argument from the other side, is that some people, that yeah. seems to be a two-tiered justice system. That's, that's, that's what the that, that, Trump that supporters would say. Is, is there something to that? With, yeah, with, well, of course there is, Joe. I mean, to, to, I mean I, we lived through it. I mean, we saw Hillary Clinton engage in this kind of behavior with regard to classified materials, and to be given a pass in 2016, we saw two and a half years of the Russia hoax that now, thanks to the Durham report, we know it was an investigation that should have never even been started. And we've seen a Justice Department that seems to have a two-tiered system of justice. None of that changes the fact, though, that the handling of classified materials is a very serious matter, not only from my years as vice president, but also my, my years on the International Relations Committee. And, uh, and look, I, I had a chance to review the indictment over the weekend. Uh, and this indictment contains serious charges, and I cannot defend what is alleged. Uh, I, I, I will tell you, as, as a, not only as a former vice president, but also m my son's a Marine. My son-in-law is a Navy lieutenant. I mean, the, the very prospect that what is alleged here took place, creating an opportunity where highly sensitive classified material could have fallen into the wrong hands, even inadvertently. That, it jeopardizes our national security. It puts at risk the men and women of our armed forces. And as I said, I, I can't defend what is alleged, but uh, the former president has a right uh, to his day in court. Uh, I know he's pled not guilty. And uh, at the end of the day, though, Joe, as you suggested, I, I can't, I, I just can't, uh, uh, I, I can't believe that politics didn't play some role here. I mean, we have seen the politicization at the Department of Justice for years and years. We saw FBI agents that falsified official documents to further that Russia hoax. And so one of the things I've said in the days since this news broke, shortly after I announced for president, was if I had the privilege to be president of the United States, we're gonna clean house at the top of the Department of Justice. We're gonna find men and women who are universally respected by both political parties uh, and, and we're going to restore public you, confidence and equal President, treatment you, under the you law. You were there for four years with, with uh, President Trump. Do you think he's, I mean, some of the stuff uh, would be characterized as reckless. And I'm just wondering, the, the voters, you know where the polls are. Again, I don't know, you know, people discount polls, but sometimes his numbers go up with things like this. You're, you're in single digits. He's at like 40 or 50%. It, it, does it ever affect uh, GOP voters to the extent that they say, I, I, you know, I support this, I supported his policies. Uh, I've even defended him and said this is not right the way the Justice Department seems weaponized, but I don't want him sitting in that seat again. Does that ever occur to, to voters? That, that is, is that what you're hoping for uh, as a candidate? Well, no, I'm, I'm not hoping for anybody else to fail. I'm hoping to prevail uh, on the basis of 20 years of experience. Look, I think our party needs new leadership, but I think our country needs new leadership. And I think this is no time for on-the-job training for anybody. They, they, I mean, I spent, I spent 12 years in the Congress. I, I don't know everybody in the House majority, but everybody I know is a committee chairman. And I know all the members of the Senate. I know governors around the country. I've been a governor. I've been a vice president. The magnitude of problems and challenges that this country is facing, Becky, I, I think demand that those of us that have the experience and the ability 
to lead and to make a difference, step forward, and that's why I'm running for president. The Journal's lead editorial today is about the situation with former President Trump. They say he's his own worst enemy. They say the narcissism and wretched judgment are familiar but still hard to believe. That's a quote from this. They think if he is re-nominated re by primary, Republican primary voters, that he will lose in a general election and that it's really up to the primary voters to make this decision. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I'm, I'm running for president because I, I think I'm the best choice, not just to lead our party, but to lead our nation. I say that with deep humility. I mean, my family and I have been blessed with the opportunities to serve this country. But as I said early on, I, different times call for different leadership. And I, I want to say, I, I, as I said, I can't defend what is alleged in this indictment, but the president's entitled to his day in court. He's entitled to make his defense. We are a nation of laws and not of men, as the old saying goes. And I, I think this is a time where, as Americans, we ought to hew to our roots, to our commitment to the rule of law. I also think it's a pretty good time to remember to pray for this country, you know, to pray for the former president, to pray for all those in authority, and really to pray for healing in our divided land. Mr. Vice President, one of the things I think that, that folks are confused by is both the, the rule of law idea that you just raised, but at the same time, uh, this almost, I, I don't want to say defense of the president, but this idea that uh, this, what you described as a two-tiered system that you think is ultimately unfair and that this is a, a political prosecution and, and which side of that you're on. You have a particular view. Chris Christie, by the way, as you know, has, has a very uh, different view. When we do talk about water, by the way, on this program, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, a theft in stores uh, in, by the way, a lot of uh, uh, blue states. And we say this is this is incredible. This is terrible. We have to prosecute these things uh, under all circumstances. Um, and so what I don't I, I this the, the two tiered thing, we have a two tiered. Unfortunately, there's a two tiered in so many different ways uh, across this country in terms of how we deal with crime. But I, I'm curious if you could just sort of square that circle for us. Well, I, I don't think there's any circle to square. I think two things uh, are true today. Number one is no one's above the law. Uh, this indictment includes serious charges. Um, and, I, and as I've said here in the panel, Andrew, I, I, I can't defend what's alleged there. I, the handling of classified materials is vitally important to the country. But look, we've gone through about... I'm trying to do the math here, about seven years where the American people have lost confidence in our Department of Justice. I mean, when, whether it was when Jim Comey excused very similar behavior by Hillary Clinton in the run-up to the 2016 campaign, uh, or whether it was two and a half years that I lived through as Vice President of the United States when we were fighting to cut taxes, roll back regulation, unleash American energy, we were under a hailstorm uh, from most of the media and the Democratic Party over what we now know is a complete fraud, an investigation that should never have been brought. And then the, the, the suppression of uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story by big tech, big media, when the, the FBI actually had the laptop and could have made it clear that it was, in fact, uh, factual. All of that has undermined public confidence in the Department of Justice. And so, as I said, president ha has his right to make his case in court. He's pled not guilty, can make his case. I want to withhold judgment before the president makes his case. But that doesn't change the fact uh, that tens of millions of Americans uh, have, uh, have a sense of a two-tiered system of justice. And I think it cries out for new leadership. 
It's why I've said, and I spent years on the Judiciary Committee. I understand how the Department of Justice works. It's why I've said, if I have the privilege to serve as President of the United States 18 months from now, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to clean house at the highest levels of the Department of Justice, and we're going to bring in men and women who are above reproach, who are respected on both sides of the aisle. We've got to have respect for the rule of law in this country and for yeah, all it, those it, that enforce it. Mr. Vice President, it, did, it put us in a bind because I, I remember it like it was yesterday, Jim Comey. I thought he was going to bring charges. He, he, he outlined for 15 minutes all the egregious things that the FBI had found about Hillary Clinton and then said, but we're in an election and I don't think this is the right thing to do to, to prosecute right now. Now we're in an election, and right. to anyone who, who's a Trump supporter, it looks like a weaponized DOJ, whether well, it, it is or does. whether I mean, So it doesn't help the country. It doesn't help either side. It just puts us in a, in a really divisive uh, situation. Joe, that's why it's, it's, it really is a sad day, because as you talk about here on Squawk Box, we, we have real challenges in this country. We've had three major bank failures. We're all waiting with anticipation about what the Fed's going to do today. What do you think Whatever. the Fed should do? Let's, we'll talk a little bit about business anyway. Well, well, look, I mean, the, the point of the matter is, well, however you're managing interest rates right now, it doesn't change the fact that we have a debt crisis in this country, uh, $32 trillion in a national debt. First time we've had a national debt the size of our nation's economy since World War II, but it's on a trajectory to increase to $150 trillion. And Joe Biden won't even talk about the major drivers of our national debt, which are entitlements. And frankly, my former running mate's position is the same as Joe Biden's. I mean, we, we, we have to have leadership that can just be honest with the American people. But Kevin McCarthy has said the same thing. And, and say, we, we, to we, say go we've got to bring about fiscal time. responsibility and reform. So that's whatever the Fed decides today, whether they tap the brake, whether they pause, it doesn't change the fundamental fact that uh, where inflation, while it's 4% today, you know, overall, I, I pulled the numbers, we're 16.2% inflation since this administration took office. In two years, they've increased inflation twice what it uh, increased over four years of our administration. That's not a policy that signals the, that the strength of our economy, the integrity of the dollar, and, and we just got to get back to a commitment to fiscal, fiscal uh, solvency and reform. We're going to have uh, uh, Judy Shelton. We're big advertisers for the Wall Street Journal today. Another op-ed piece is uh, that the Fed's monetary policy toolkit needs an overhaul. Her, her point is that when you stay at zero forever, things like MMT, modern monetary theory, things like we can spend forever and there's not any repercussions. So even though the Fed is supposedly an independent body, that they do sort of, uh, I don't know, give a tailwind to fiscal types to spend too much money, and that has to be changed. Well, they absolutely do. I mean, we went through this sort quantitative easing where, you know, basically we had free money, which frankly, with all due respect, sitting here in New York, uh, was a good thing for a lot of people on Wall Street, but what we're seeing with this inflation, it wasn't a very good thing for people on Main Street. And, and I got to tell you, everywhere I go across the country, uh, people are hurting uh, with the rising cost of living. The American people want to see leadership in Washington, D.C. that restores economic growth, restrains inflation, and also has the courage to be willing to step forward and be honest with the American people about the real debt crisis that's facing our children and our grandchildren. You know, you got Father's Day coming up this Sunday, so I intend to be spoiled when I get back home to Indiana. Uh, one of our kids is actually going to be home with a couple of our granddaughters. 
I, I just can't look at those three little granddaughters of ours and, and walk by on the other side of the road and say, no, this is going to be your problem. You all are going to have to deal with this in your day when I know that in our time, if we would summon the will of the American people, we can change the fiscal trajectory of this country. And that more than any of the, the you know, changes in the Fed or, or you know, small changes in Congress, that's what will put us back on a path of prosperity and security for years to come. We'll end it there, uh, Mr. Vice President. I don't know what, what to think of the next, uh, when's the next election uh, for president? 2024, November. How many months we got? It, the way it looks right now, it is, like I said right at the top, it is surreal. It is surreal what we're looking at. Well, but I have, I have every if confidence. If you believe the polls. Joe, I, look, I, well, I have every confidence in the American people. All right. I have every confidence in Republican primary voters. They're going to choose wisely. We're going to choose the right leadership fitted to this moment. And we're going to restore the security and prosperity of this country. All right. So help us God. That sounds like a, that, that just sounds like a campaign speech, and we appreciate it. Uh, and and um, we'll hope to see you again. We'll see what, whether anything changes by then, Mr. Vice President. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, it's Alphabet Soup, AI, SEC, FTC. It just seems like it's a, a Swiss cheese sort of solution if you have a lot of different regulators and you can play the regulators like you would play mom and dad off of each other. The tech regulation pipeline, plus getting by with a little help from AI. The next big Beatles thing. Paul never, he was not the Beatles without Lennon, and Lennon was with Yoko. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. The SEC is moving to introduce new rules for brokerages using artificial intelligence to interact with clients. The agency said that it plans to release a plan to rein in conflicts of interest associated with the technology as soon as October. The SEC has been exploring potential conflicts associated with machine learning and robo-advisors since 2021. Andrew. Thanks, Becky. Meantime, uh, two leaders in artificial intelligence have opposing ideas about how the technology should be regulated. Google responding now to a government agency's request for comment on the topic, saying it preferred what they are calling a, quote, multi-layered, multi-stakeholder approach to AI governance. It said the company supports a, quote, hub and spoke approach rather than a, quote, department of AI. Describes uh, that approach as a central agency informing regulators in various sectors like healthcare and financial services. Other AI leaders, including Microsoft and OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, who are partners effectively, uh, have argued for a more centralized regulatory body in the form of a new government agency focused on AI. So I don't know, guys, uh, which you think is uh, the better version. We always talk about the alphabet soup that is regulators. Uh, some people uh, think that if you have a, a lot of different regulators, you can, you can work different reps and, and there's competition and sometimes that makes better regulation. And then there's other folks who thinks, you know, if you had one regulator, maybe they become a dictator, but that's the better. Well, it just seems solution. like it's a, a Swiss cheese sort of solution if you have a lot of different regulators and you can play the regulators like you would play mom and dad off of each other if, if you're a kid. I mean, I, mean, I think we've seen that movie before. That's what's happened, in, right. In that's so many different parts point, of the financial of sudden, system. Right, and then all of a sudden you have the SEC saying it's going to go ahead and just do it its way and, and take it out with the courts if they can't get the But then you flip it around and you say to yourself, okay, what happens if it's a regulator and you don't like the way the regulator... I mean, look, there's people there's who, who disagree vehemently you know, with the way the FTC operates today. Whether you like it yeah. or you don't, some people love it, some people hate it. If that was the way this regulatory body worked and there was no... 
it, or the regulator. Like you may not like you know? what they're doing, but you're not going to be able to get them out of the mix one way or the other. So if you're dealing with, uh, you know, lots of different regulators, you're going to wind up being beholden to the strictest rules that come out from whatever, re you know, whatever regulator sets the strictest rules are going to be the ones that end up regulating you anyway. In the meantime, you don't know what the, the rules are. And Coinbase might argue, you know, just tell us the rules and then we can, argue, we can work our way around that. But not knowing just seems like it's the worst case scenario and, and leaves investors in particular kind of swinging in the wind until right. somebody makes up their mind on things. Have we talked about uh, the Beatles? What about the Beatles? You're talking, talking about the AI about song? They're using AI. You're talking about, talking the, about song. the roaches. Yeah, but the, the, the Paul McCartney you're talking about the song. Using, yep. using AI to put in the Lennon, not that Lennon, but John Lennon, the John Lennon influence. And, and I've always thought that the, the Beatles were the Beatles because of all four of them. Like yeah. Paul McCartney, you know, you know right. Linda playing piano case, and, and singing, wheel, you know, Helen Wheel. Paul never... He was not the Beatles without Lennon, and Lennon was with Yoko. So it was when, but if you could put Lennon, this, I'm interested in what this song, could, I would love a new Beatles song right. to come out. But By the Joe, way, Paul turns this, 80. Uh, I feel on totally, the, on the, I feel, Paul turns 80 on the 18th of June, Andrew. I feel totally different about this, about what's happening here. You don't want him to do not it? The, well, no, no, no. It, you know, I think we, we keep talking about AI in the context that somebody's sampling some voice and then recreating some new voice out of the old voice. That, from my understanding, is not what happened here. No. What happened here was that John Lennon recorded a demo right. with instruments, and as a result, they could not isolate his voice, right? So typically, each, each you know, the, the instrument, the voice, everything is, is isolated, and therefore, when you actually go make an album, you can put all the pieces together. The right. problem with the recording was it was both potentially a junkie recording, meaning I think he might have done it personally, and it wasn't right. isolated. And so well, in this case, my understanding is what makes this fascinating, and I think okay, actually, is that they used AI both to isolate it. the voice and, frankly, to clean it up, if you will, okay. rather than to create but a, we don't a have song George that never Martin existed. Or Phil Spector to create the wall of sound. I mean, the Beatles, the, the way that it was produced, was part of the whole thing too. And, and we should say, aside, Cormac McCarthy died. Did you see that? He was 89. The Road, um, and I mean, what, what, what's the great one that, that won the Academy Award with uh, Javier Bardem as the- as Oh, the, Bardem. Yeah. yeah, dead, uh, oh. yeah, No Country for Old Men. Cormac McCarthy died yesterday. He was a giant at, at 89. I don't know why I'm talking about that with Treat Paul. Williams. It's just when someone- Treat Williams, Williams Motorcycle accident. I know, at, at 71, I thought- But our icons are getting old. I mean, Paul's 80. I mean, hopefully he lives to 180, but uh, I mean, Dylan, Bowie's already gone. Sad. My voice is cracked. <laughs> 81. Already turned 80. Paul McCartney retired back. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the best of our TV show in a podcast, well, this is the place. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.